Well, hey, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Here's what is coming up a little bit later on. For our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering, what does it look like to lean on God fully in a practical way after you've experienced a breakup? One of our counselors is going to give some advice on that. And then for our culture segment, you know her from The Bachelor, but Maddie Pruitt-Trout has a new book called The Love Everybody Wants, and she joined us to to talk about the book and really have a conversation around contentment and what true love looks like. And so stay tuned for that. All right, here we are for our roundtable. If you listened last week, you know that we are back with a part two of a conversation around holding to your convictions, even when it's difficult, and specifically in our career paths and where we exist in the workplace, uh, whether that's the corporate world. We've got a couple folks here representing medicine, the education sphere. And so I want to welcome back Jennifer, Carl, Christine, and Jason. Hey, y'all. Hey there. Hi. All right. Good to good to have you. Um, Christine is still married this week. Uh, <laughs> last week I tried to make her single because she's been a friend of mine uh, since her single days. So, uh, Dr. Christine <laughs> Snyder, we will say that this time. Uh, sorry, Phil, about that last time. Her husband. He forgives okay. you. He does forget. <laughs> Thank you. I so appreciate that. So, all right. Well, we got to jump in because we were like I feel like we just scratched the surface last week, and we've got to hit a lot of stuff this week. We've been talking about uh, when your convictions are challenged in the workplace on a number of levels. So those of you who haven't heard part one, feel free to hop back and listen to that. But what I want to jump in with as we begin here is let's just talk about faith in the workplace. Okay, because you know, you are showing up as a Christian. Most of us talk as Christians as that being biblically our primary identity and everything else is what we've been commissioned to do, how we're representing Christ uh, to a hurting world. And hopefully, you know, we will just uh, even so come Lord Jesus. (laughs) I feel like we're hoping that's going to be sooner and sooner. Um, But for now, we're being faithful where we are. And so, what does it look like for y'all to, like, do people at work know you're a Christian? What do they think about you? What does it look like in conversations as you are representing even just your private, like, personal life and talking about what you do on a Sunday or a weekend or or whatever? Um, are you just the weirdo out there or are you able to kind of show up as as who you are as a believer? I don't know that necessarily, as I look back at my career, I did as much kind of giving a testimony, but um, I found pretty consistently throughout my career, I wouldn't necessarily notice it right away, but just by really standing strong in who I was and what I believe, not compromising on things, you know, never being that person that swears in the workplace um, and everything, always treating people with respect and kindness, I actually would see things where... I'd be in the room and people would be like, oh, wait, we need to clean up our, you know, our language because Jen's here and stuff. And I kind of look and they're like, no, we know. And we like it became almost this because I wouldn't compromise it. They really showed me respect in it. And as that happened, then it did create more opportunity for me to be able to say, well, if you don't already know, I'm a Christian and here's, you know, kind of what I believe or why I feel this conviction on this thing. And so, again, it wasn't necessarily a you should believe in Jesus, but it did start to open up that opportunity for me to verbalize to people that I'm a Christian and here's my views a little bit, um, which I found was a good thing. Yeah, that's great. Well, I know for me, and as you were kind of introducing the show today, talking about (laughs) dating, um, I know it's a strange thing to think about in education dating, but um, the very foundation of, of what we believe uh, as believers and, and as Christians is uh, we believe in a relational God. I've been very fortunate, and I'll be honest, I, I get emotional every time I think about it. <clears throat> when I first started teaching, it was the, oh, you can't talk about your faith. You can't you can't share what you believe. And, and so initially you walk into education having this intimidation of, oh, what can I say or what can I not say? But I learned very early on, I had some great mentors that came into my life that were believers, that were, that were educators. And, and they said, there's, there's two things you need to think about. That one, uh, education is truly based upon relationships with kids. And then number two, 
the best thing that you can do is always be open and honest with students. Because uh, my mentor, when I first started teaching, said, if a student asks a question, you have every right to give an answer. So for me, it was always about how do I try to connect intimately with kids and show them that I love them, that I cared about them, and that everything I did was always in direct aligning with my belief and my faith. And what's interesting is uh, the first group of students that I went from, them being uh, sophomores to graduating, uh, one of them, as soon as he walked across the stage, uh, I still remember the kid, every detail of his face, his name, everything. Um, He walked across the stage and uh, came to me and gave me a hug and said, "Uh, Mr. DeLee, you're the first person that ever showed that that I had value and that I had worth mm-hmm. and uh, that you cared about us. And when I look back on it, there was never a direct conversation about being a Christian or being a believer, but he said, you are definitely different. Mm-hmm. And so throughout my entire career, whether I was in a public school system, whether I was doing professional development or uh, teacher development uh, at the university level or even being an administrator, I think the core of what I really believed is that the relationships that you have with people speaks louder and speaks more more about what you are than even just standing up and professing a faith uh, because then uh, through just that consistency and the actions and how you talk and treat people if they care they always come back and say are you a believer and then you can say yeah i yeah. am mm-hmm. and it always opened the door god was always faithful in that I never had to leave that conversation. It was always brought to me. That's cool. All right, Carl and Christine, because I'm thinking here, okay, how do you do this in a, uh, whether it's a 20-minute appointment or someone's under anesthesia, (laughs) you've got (laughs) limitations, I think, here, or you're clearly, in Carl's case, someone else should be doing all the talking. I don't know how that plays out, but yeah, what's what's your experience? Well, first of all, and maybe this is the more um, on the subversive side, but we have to work in two different um, office spaces. And so we have to share offices with each other and work in each other's area sometimes. So even though all of my colleagues have signs up about Planned Parenthood and defense of that, I have um, Bible verses on my walls (laughs) in my office. And maybe I don't see them work in my space as much. And it might be for that reason, but they know where I stand or I wear my cross necklace and gives me a little extra encouragement in the day to day. But then when you get into the individual patient encounters, there's a little more flexibility with that. And Maybe this will help someone coming up through the career path, but when you have those one-on-one times, I'll ask patients if they have any certain religious beliefs and what are those, because that can affect their health as well. But for the point of guiding the conversation and where I can go with things, because obviously you can offer prayer, but you don't want to necessarily be praying with someone who has an entirely different belief And in those cases, when that doesn't coincide, I'll ask patients when they don't have the same beliefs as I do, I will ask them if it's okay if privately on my own, if I pray for them. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had pretty good reception to that, even if someone has, I've had patients acknowledge atheism or other religions, and they still generally are um, welcoming of that or desiring that in their difficult time or in Mm -hmm. dealing with whatever medical ailment they've got. Yeah. Well, for me, whenever I was younger, um, I was like a Peter and denied Jesus many times in front of friends. And, you know, you grow up and, um, you know, I answered altar call many times as a kid who wants to burn in hell forever. I mean, but uh, being able to really make him the Lord of my life, you know, didn't happen. Um, Had struggles with uh, depression, anxiety, alcohol. I ended up getting caught cheating at Duke on a test and got put on academic probation. Um, ended up getting a DUI and then arrested for six counts of aggravated assault and was in jail. So for me, who God gives much to, he expects much of, much is required. And so I have a lot of wasted years of denying him. So now there's this, okay, you know, this time here on earth is a blip and I need to make up for lost time. So uh, ever since I've been into my profession, I've always wanted to bring God and Jesus. It's what transformed my life and saved me um, and put me on a a much different trajectory with meaning and purpose and value uh, and engagement. And um, I've always wanted to just share that with others. So I was called sort of the Jesus freak or the Jesus doctor at the hospital that we were at. And um, there was a time wherever 
I was in the ICU and a person had wanted to stop their medication, so I got called to do a, a competency evaluation to see if they were competent to stop their meds. And we were talking about his cancer and his illness and the treatment options and you know what was going to happen. And I said, well, what, what happens to you when you die? And we had this conversation, and um, it was a very deep, interesting, uh, profound conversation, and we seemed to both enjoy it and have a discussion about it. But a couple hours later, I was called because... Carl, what are you doing preaching? You're not allowed to preach. And uh, I wasn't preaching. I was just doing an evaluation. He says, well, um, the nurse said you were preaching. And I said, well, let's go ask the guy. And so the administrator went to ask the patient, and the patient, you know, said what the evaluation was like. And, yeah, I talked about these spiritual things. And and I said, well, ask him how he felt about those. He said, well, I've had this cancer for five years, and nobody's asked me any of these questions that he asked me. And these are the things I wanted to add ask people and wanted answers to and to have some discussion of, but everybody's afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. So I always view people when they come to me as a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist, we get to ask any question in the world because you know, we, we ask the weirdest things and we want to know the weirdest details. So we get freedom to ask any question, but when people come, they're struggling. And so they let me into their inner space very quickly to say, hey, I need help. I'm struggling. Give me some answers. Mm-hmm. And um, they come to me for expertise, psychological expertise, biological f- brain chemistry expertise, but I believe also f- uh, spiritual expertise as to, you know, why are we here? What are we doing? Uh, why do we make the decisions we make? And how do we make them better so we can have a, a life of joy, peace, and freedom? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've been able to do that. Um, you get called names. People can Google my name. I get I testify a lot in uh, legislatures and uh, in various different spaces, so I get called a bunch of bad words, and I get called a bunch of nice things, too. Uh, but on the pickleball courts, people think I'm a pastor because <laughs> I, you know, I don't swear. When people use wrong language, which is a pickleball rule, we're not allowed to use bad language, I call people on it and say, hey, language. So people thought they knew I did something with faith, but they always think I'm a pastor until they get to understand I'm a psychiatrist. Okay. <laughs> You're... You're and then you <laughs> analyze them. You're right. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we do good. that naturally. So. It, yeah, it's so funny you say that because I uh, actually, Christine and I have a mutual friend who for years was in the resort industry and she supervised a number of um, hospitality folks. So whether it was valets, bellmen, concierge, all of those folks, and many of them, especially in the valet pool, were younger, like young 20-somethings, you know, and she just became kind of this like, you know, not, I mean, no disrespect, but kind of a shrink, Carl, to <laughs> them and they all of their problems and they would bring because she you know she would say well I'm going to my church thing or I'm and she would mention you know her faith and all Mm -hmm. you know personally of her experience of it and stuff well all of a sudden kind of to what Jason was saying uh, earlier about just folks who want to be seen as a person and not a problem or a an appointment or another you know just a, a sheet of grades or something like that all of a sudden it was like okay well I'm having this problem with my girlfriend or you know a bunch of us have, you know we were partying and we got in trouble and but you know and she was just able to kind of show up and and share and it was just really neat to to see in fact I remember her telling one of her coworkers who really wanted to get married and he was almost embarrassed to admit it to his friends but he said you know it is so lame just all I do is go to bars and why would I think that the woman I want to marry is going to be in a bar on a Friday night and you know mm-hmm. I I don't, I'm not the person that I would want to marry <laughs> just hanging out in bars all the time. So how do I change this? And she had the chance to really speak to him in that space. And so it's like, you never know what people are, are dealing with. It's so cool to see. So, And amen to what you said, Jason, that no matter what speech they try to limit, it says clearly in scripture, they will know us by our love. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the undertone of everything I heard you all say mm-hmm. in that um, they see that you're different. And that will come through. Yeah. So what, um, let's turn a little bit of a corner here and talk about, you know, because I think there are lots of folks that have been put in really hard positions within their jobs. I mean, Jen, you alluded to, you know, being asked to make maybe some unethical decisions or tweaking some numbers or doing stuff that you just know is like, I can't do this in good conscience. When would you advise someone, when do they need to speak up be show up, whether that's a, an HR conversation, whether that is whatever, or maybe even leave a job over their convictions. And how would you encourage them to do that wisely and, you know, and still kindly, um, but to do it with courage? Well, I think that we often think that leading the Christian life 
is a lot of sacrifice, and we give up a lot to be Christians and be over it with our faith. But for me in my life, whenever I denied Christ, there was a lot more pain, a lot more suffering, a lot more hurt, a lot more cost, a lot more effort I had to put into uh, my life than whenever I engage him and profess him uh, in both word and deed. Um, to me, the Christian way is sort of on sale. Uh, so it's, uh, um, it, it's a lot less costly, a lot more fulfilling. And so whenever we're in these situations as a physician, you know, I think that we're at that last line of defense for people that are um, at risk uh, and in danger. And so to be able to you want to have a doctor that has ethics, that has morals, that has a conscious. And as we learn more about moral injury, whenever we do something against our conscious, whenever we uh, witness things that go against our conscious or even don't speak up uh, when something is happening that violates our conscious, that hurts us inside. That hurts us um, uh, you know, emotionally, psychologically, relationally, and, and even spiritually. Uh, so we often think that, well, if I don't speak up or if I don't say anything, I'll be okay. We're really not. It does something to us deeper inside, uh, as well as just doesn't honor God in the process. But even just our own personal, if we're just looking for our own personal gain, there's a lot less personal gain whenever we do it our way than when we do it his way. Mm -hmm. I think there's a tension as well between being the light and living in Babylon and not running from what God may have called you to, but also hearing his voice when he releases you from something that can be really difficult or that goes against your convictions. And I think that the key to being able to know the difference is what Jesus calls us to do, that we abide in him, that we find our safe harbor in God, and that that is our resting place. And that um, if we're doing that, if we're, if we're studying scripture, if we're praising God, if we're listening to um, sermons regularly, if we're pressing in with his community, with his body, the Holy, we will hear the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. more clearly. Yeah. And well, we got to be ready to answer and not hold anything in this life too tightly that you're not willing to let it go. Yeah. But also, again, to be willing to walk into those hard places and not, not fear. We're also commanded don't, not to fear. Yeah. And don't let that keep you from going where God may be taking you as your mission. Yeah. And that is, I mean, I wanted to say, because you had mentioned this, um, it was possibly last week, about that is very real for you right now. And having to trust God that he has something for you down the road because you're having to make a very hard choice now. Exactly. Yeah, with your own job. Uh, in fact, we were, Christine and I were talking about this. I mean, just the idea of being being told, and especially when you're in a collaborative environment like a practice where everyone's in it, you know, I mean, you see this in law, you see it in the medical field and stuff, and it's kind of like, this is who we are as a practice, and in your case, wanting um, folks wanting you to perform abortions and make that decision alongside them, and you're like, something I can't do. It's just, I can't do it. So, yeah, and that's where you're just like, God, this must be you telling me that there's there's something else. And we so want to look at the here and now and think like, well, this is all I do. This is all I have. What? How would I do this differently? So, yeah, trusting trusting God in that space can be super hard. All right. Well, let's go ahead. In the last couple minutes we have here, let's just give encouragement to folks. Because, again, we said, I mean, everyone listening knows this because they're like, hey, that's me. But all of <laughs> Y'all who've been in in the career world for a long time, uh, remember, you know, we're talking to 20-somethings, maybe some 30-somethings who have started out in their careers. Maybe they've just made a career change, and they're very um, nervous about the fact of like, well, this is not, I don't have the capital in my job to even say anything. I mean, you guys are all like big-time players, whatever, you know, it's it's easier for you. <laughs> what's your what's your encouragement to them when they are? I mean, again, we've, we've thrown out so many examples here of the language we use, the being forced to attend trainings, being forced to sign forms, being forced to acknowledge or, or include things that we, we think go against um, what we believe as as believers, how just maybe some down and dirty tips for navigating that space when there may be fear in that? Some of it in the situations where I was asked around, you know, to tweak the numbers or change things, like a lot of times I would actually, you know, take a stand on integrity, but I would turn it around where I was focusing on the business of, hey, doing this is going to lead us down the path of making it the wrong decision and that's going to negatively impact the business. So there were some things like that that I think you can look at and still stand strong in who you are, but maybe see if you can shift the conversation. 
to be aligned with you know what is best for the organization that you're working in and you know i was really junior when um, i dealt with the issue so i was part of launching the feature where you could preview pages um, of books on amazon and we had some books that came back um, showing inside of pages on how to build bombs how to you know get a child in pornography and you know, that to me was a huge issue um, and so, you know, I took an approach of just, I had concerns. And I said, you know, this is, we have to be aware that we have a broad audience of people. And this is going to offend a lot of people. And it's also, we're actually allowing something that goes out that is creating, that's designed with an intent to harm someone, mm-hmm. you know. And so I started asking leadership the questions around it. And unfortunately, right at that moment in time, Um, because that was back in 2001, the leadership felt that we were still small and that, you know, they just stood behind the guise of its freedom of speech. But I just chose to exclude and block out all of those products from it. And we did actually push through that they made sure that products like that were suppressed through search and things like that. So they were still on the book, on the site. There was still freedom of speech, but they did take some action. But then it was, you know, I think about five years later, there actually became a very strong stance from the company saying, hey, this isn't something that we believe in. And so I think sometimes just being willing to think through not just like, how does this affect me or my beliefs, but is this actually causing harm to others? And so asking those questions that at least can get people thinking. And in fairness, I had there were a lot of Christians that were writing into Amazon at the time too that <laughs> backed up my data. <laughs> Our audience, you know, we have a broad audience and we need to be mm-hmm. aware of all of them, but more importantly, how is this harming? So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, being willing to ask questions um, and not always feel that it has to be, I'm taking a strong stand on this, right? It's Mm -hmm. a yes or no thing, but sometimes it's opening that dialogue and getting people to think about broader things than just the hard and fast that's been presented. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I would say in in the world of of education, uh, there's so many careers and and job opportunities, everything from working in, in a lunchroom to bus transportation, secretaries, uh, teachers uh, and then leaders, and as I think about this question, it, it really comes down to uh, what is your role, and and really being uh, aware, being uh, prayerful of, being mindful of why does God have you in that that position or in that place uh, for that season. I will always say that we need to have believers in in the public environment and actually really in any environment. And a lot of it is for that reason to to challenge the status quo to that day when a kid is uh, in in an office or in a classroom breaking down because of of the world collapsing on them, having somebody that's available that can give them true godly wisdom and godly uh, insight. Um, but it's it's knowing what your role is and, and where and how you can kind of function within the boundaries that are established by the world and, and the laws and the regulations that, that exist. You know, for me as a classroom teacher, it was pretty easy because I shut my door. Literally anything could have happened in my classroom and I could have said anything. And, and that's kind of going back to the idea of indoctrination. That's what a lot of people hope for and want. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I could have an honest conversation with my class about decisions that they were making and choices that they were that were having, or or if a student just needed a one-on-one conversation, I could have those. And 99% of the time, that information never made it past the the door. Um, but uh, at at times, you have to make that decision of this is not a good fit. And sometimes that's a that may be the the school or the location you're at, and you may be able to move to a different place and and find exactly what you need. Um, but when I moved into to school administration of the public schools in the last three or four years, when it was you have to have bathrooms and you have to allow uh, transgendered kids to to play on sports teams, and it got to the point where I, as a leader, had to go. There's just, I, I cannot force these decisions upon people, or I cannot lie to a parent about uh, a decision or a choice that a that an individual is making. So because of that. Um, I had to make the decision to move other places. And, and the great thing is I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about just education in general and, and, you know, where God guides us, he always provides. And literally I 
I resigned two weeks before school started and within two weeks, just through connection, somebody reached out to me and said, Hey, I've got a place that you need to go to. And, and that's how I ended up where I'm at now. And, um, you know, still doing a lot of the things that I believe in, uh, in a different environment, but, but, uh, truly living by by what god has called you to in that point and sometimes you have to be the rebel and you have to be the voice of reason sometimes you have to kind of sit in the raft and go with the flow but through that if if you're where god needs you and god wants you incredible things are going to happen through your life Mm -hmm. i this is going to sound trite but we've got to follow the example of jesus that he acknowledges it's in ephesians there is a spiritual battle going on hugely in this country, in this world, and it will continue until Jesus comes back. And depending on your (laughs) eschatology, maybe even (laughs) after. But we are to memorize scripture and use it in that spiritual battle. I have felt this summer this press to cultivate that side of my walk to be memorizing scripture. And I feel it every day, the spiritual battle that's going on and calling those verses back to mind when I'm in the midst of a challenging situation have been hugely helpful. And it promises in Scripture, too, in Luke 21, in Second um, Timothy 4, that not a hair on our head will be harmed. And we have that promise, and that will not be made to be false, mm-hmm. no matter what happens to us here on this earth. And even Paul wrote that just before, and he knew his death was coming, but just before he was beheaded. And he believed that because it was true. And this is temporary. This world is wasting away. First John says, do not be surprised that the world will hate you. And these are things we're going to face. And it's not going to get better until Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. And we need to have scripture in our hearts and in our and be able to bring that to mind to fight back. Yeah, good word. I would also just very quick add in that I think, like, I always prayed before I knew I was going to go and have a hard conversation. Even if it meant I was sitting in my cube and took two minutes to just put my head down and just talk to God uh, yes. so that I knew that whatever I was going in and facing, I had his covering, mm-hmm. um, that I was walking in truth with him. And so Amen, I sister. definitely agree with that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that prayer gives you uh, a, a peace. Um, in this dark world, we need light. And so you are the light in those situations. And um, we need to think of it as a long game. Oftentimes we feel pressed to have to make it right right in the moment or that it has to be okay or I have to get my point across. And it's really the long game that we're in it for. And so uh, how do you be uh, show your character, show your integrity, but show them a peace and a, and a love. We need to remember that they aren't the enemy. Satan is the enemy. We're in this spiritual mm-hmm. battle for sure. And so uh, mm-hmm. Satan is the real enemy, but Satan does a good job of tricking us into thinking that the other person, uh, the, our coworker, uh, a patient, a hospital administrator, you know, uh, a lawyer, whoever is the bad guy. They're not the bad guy. They're just pawns being used mm-hmm. uh, at times. And whenever we sort of don't look at them as the enemy, but somebody else who's a victim of this diabolical system, of Satan's, it's a lot easier to have compassion and care for them, and uh, you don't feel as pressed to have to win uh, the situation. I hate when Satan wins anything. I'm a, I'm a competitor, uh, but Noah built an ark for a hundred years, and he had zero converts. So, but he's in the Hebrews Hall of Fame, and so it's not really up to us to convince. It's just up to us to honor God show his peace and his love and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does in that person's lives or situation. And we're just one of many that God's going to bring into that person's life or that system's life. And uh, we need to take that calling and own up to it and answer the call that he has for us in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of, um, yeah, just the idea of what it looks for us. The only thing we can do is be faithful. We can't change hearts. We can't change minds. We can't change entire systems sometimes. But um, I'm reminded one of my favorite movies, Chariots of Fire, where Eric Little gave up the chance at running for uh, an Olympic medal because of his own convictions and was given um, kind of that that opportunity, uh, similar to what Jason was saying, this opportunity to maybe pivot and uh, do a different race. And that fellow runner handed him the from 1 Samuel 2, who honors me, I will honor. And so you don't know how God's going to show up and what that's going to look like. But we just are called to do what we're called to do. 
I think another important thing, too, is we, we don't do this alone. So you need to be able to engage with other Christians, other believers, whether that's your church community, your small group, uh, your family, uh, to be able to pray for you, to encourage you, and to run things by. Hey, look, here's what happened. Here's the situation. How could I handle that differently? Or I'm going into this meeting, or here's these numbers in the books that are wrong, or whatever, to be able to get some godly guidance. To uh, Sometimes we have our emotions sort of swirling in there, and it's hard for us to see clearly in some of these situations. So make sure you surround yourself with good godly people to guide you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys so much for weighing in on this. I really appreciate it. What a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you for letting us come in. Anytime, Lisa. Yes. It was great to be able to join you. Thanks. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Not just a thing up in the sky, a sweet by and by. No, no. Not just a set of pearly gaze of angels with wings. No, it's more. Hey everyone, friends of Boundless, we are here with a super fun and special interview today with my brand new friend. Uh, Her name is Maddie Pruitt-Trout. Some of you, um, and by some of you, I mean our engineer Alex, uh, are cheering. (laughs) He's not going (laughs) to live this down at this point because he did disclose to me that he is a personal friend and fan, not friend, he just in his head he's a friend, a fan of Maddie um, because he watched her really in its entirety of the season that she appeared on The Bachelor, which I think was in 2020. So enough about Alex. Maddie, welcome to The Boundless Show. Thank you so much for having me. And I feel like I'm a part of the squad now. I need to be in the room with you guys and meet you and Alex in person. But seriously, thank you so much for having me. Well, it would be fun. And I know you're down in Texas. So when it gets too hot there, which it does about 10 months out of the year, you come on (laughs) up here to Colorado and visit us. Okay. Oh, what a dream. Absolutely. Count me in. Okay. Well, that would be a blast. Okay. So folks, um, like I said, Maddie Pruitt-Trout, we are going to be talking primarily today about a new book that she has out titled The Love Everybody Wants. What you're looking for is already yours. And if you haven't seen this book yet, uh, let's be honest. First of all, it has a bright pink cover. So this is like, you're not going to miss it when you're in bookstores or you're, you're checking around talking to your friends and whatnot. But, um, but also, some of you may know her because as I alluded, she was a contestant uh, on The Bachelor just a few years ago, season 24, and a finished runner up. Um, but she also does a ton on social. And so whether TikTok or Instagram, I mean, I think you have like 2 million followers now. So what in the world? Are these all your best friends or what's going on, Maddie? (laughs) A lot of new friends. We love making new friends around here. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Well, we were talking before we started taping um, that she also, she and her husband, Grant, are good friends of our friend, Jonathan Pecluda, and are at his church uh, down in Waco, Texas. And so, man, it's a small world when you meet fellow believers and people in the family of God. It's fun to see. It's so fun. We all get to just learn and grow from each other. It's been it's been really fun being in Waco under under JP and just learning from all of his wisdom. Yeah. Okay, well, now um, that I gave you a false sense of security and I talked about us being friends, I'm going to ask my first question, which I did tell you is going to sound kind of weird and like combative because I'm like, okay, <laughs> all these people, Maddie, that are like, Maddie, why in the world would you go on The Bachelor? Okay, I I mean, not that, you know, I didn't watch it because of course I did, <laughs> but <laughs> going on The Bachelor as a Christian, like, isn't that the TV version of Tinder? Um, what's your response to that question? Talk to us just about how that unfolds and your presence on the show and just kind of what your expectations were around that. Yeah, I totally understand, you know, (laughs) the pushback and the questions that people would have. Personally, I think if one of my best friends walked up to me and was like, I'm going on The Bachelor, I would be like, what is wrong with you? What's happening? 
And I, I understood in the moment when people were giving me pushback, I understand to this day, um, you know, there being some question marks, but truly it was not an easy decision. It was a very prayerful decision. I did not submit myself to go on the show. I actually had a friend without my knowledge submit my application uh, to enter me into the Bachelor experience, and I actually had never watched the show before. And so I had only seen like a couple of episodes here and there through other friends having it on and kind of just being in the room. So I really had no idea, you know, what it really was other than it was just this secular dating TV show. And so when they called me, I thought it was a prank call. Like I was like, why you've gotten the wrong Madison. I just graduated from seminary. I want to marry a pastor. I am not the girl you're looking for. And uh, I just really didn't even think it was, you know, anything to consider. And I remember calling my mom and kind of telling her who just called me and laughing about it. And she was like, you know, Maddie, let's not close the door before we've taken it before the Lord. Like, let's really pray about this. That should always be our first response. And I was not expecting my mom to say that, but we did. We prayed about it for um, a few months and, and were really, you know, methodical about it, really thoughtful about it. And I really felt led by the Holy Spirit to say yes to something that truly made no sense and that a lot of people didn't agree with, but I felt a peace to do it, and I trusted that. And so I went on the show. I had no idea what to expect, but I knew that the the Lord had something that He wanted to do in me and something He wanted to do through me. And it's been really cool to see, looking back now, all of the moments that I've had um, just along the way, like even being on the show recording um, with just people behind the scenes, as well as even just, um, you know, The Bachelor himself. And then since the show, having opportunities to write books and speak at different, you know, places. Um, so I am super, super grateful for that whole experience. And looking back now, I know it was exactly, you know, where I was supposed to be. Yeah. It's so wild to think, because I, I think exactly what you said. So many people think of like, you know, on camera, oh, it's just you and The Bachelor. But the the course of filming, I mean, you are interacting and probably forming friendships with all the other girls. There's the crew. I mean, there are people that you, every conversation you have is, is a potential to magnify Christ in the way that you handle yeah. conversations, what you choose to talk about, what you say your priorities are, your interests. And so really, I mean, it was kind of like a subculture that you were in for a season to really walk that out. (laughs) Yeah, it was a pressure cooker moment for sure. And also an opportunity to really magnify Christ in every single moment. I mean, you have lots of eyes on you and just getting to really live out the message. Like for me that I've believed my whole life and being put in a pressure cooker moment really led me to ask myself like, okay, Maddie, like who, who really are you? What do you really believe? What you know, what are you looking for um, in, a, in a spouse? What is your identity? What is your, you know, and so I really had to um, ask myself those tough questions. I definitely didn't always um, handle it perfectly on camera and nor have I off camera, but that's just the beauty of, um, you know, being sanctified and walking with Jesus is just every day when you spend more and more time in his word and in community and, um, you know, in in prayer and in worship, he just continues to, to lead you down the right path. And I'm super grateful for just like you said, those conversations that I that I got to have and just the way that the Lord moved. Yeah. Well, you have certainly, I mean, even though it's not like you're a grandma, you're a young adult yourself, (laughs) recently (laughs) married, um, but you have had many opportunities throughout your life to really trust the Lord in circumstances. And I want to roll it back to uh, you and a breakup as a teenager that you really say, and this is coming again, we're talking about the love everybody wants, uh, your book. Um, You really say like, this was a struggle for you because it was like, what is my identity? I mean, that feeling of rejection, that feeling of I'm not enough. um, You grappled with that really for a couple years until your freshman year of college. What was the what was the turning point for you or the lessons you had to learn in that process? Yeah, and that's so real. I know that many of us feel ourselves in a place, whether it be in a romantic relationship or in friendship dynamics, 
where, you know, we're constantly looking for acceptance and affirmation and belonging um, and even identity in some type of relationship. And we were made from relationship and for relationship. And so it's a very natural feeling to desire those things. And what I had to realize and learned the hard way was that ultimately, you know, what I'm looking for cannot be found in another person. Like it can only be found in Christ. And I was trying to find this acceptance and belonging in other people and in a relationship status, and it was just constantly leaving me um, brokenhearted and discontent. And so over the years, I've had to learn, you know, how to stop allowing other people who often don't even know who they are to determine who I am, you know, through breakups and through moments of getting cheated on and different things like that. There's been many moments where I found myself, you know, questioning my worth and value because someone else did didn't see me as worthy and valuable. And I finally got into a place in my life over the last like four or five years where I've realized, you know, my identity and my value is in a perfect almighty God. And that is something that cannot be taken or, you know, stolen from me or um, something that I can lose. That is something that you know, he has given me. And when we come from that place, when we learn to view ourselves the way that God views us, we stop longing for acceptance and belonging and we start loving from acceptance and belonging. And it really allowed me to enter into situations and relationships, you know, from this place of abundance rather than lack, rather than looking for someone else to tell me who I was and to add value to my life and to make me feel more whole rather to kind of flip the script and say, I know who I am in Christ. I found my true worth and value. And now I'm able to enter into relationships and situations saying, I know who I am. And and then I'm looking for ways to add value to other people. And like I said, it took a lot of bumps and bruises and falling down to, to get to that place. And it's still a daily decision to place my worth in Christ and not in relationships or in other people's opinions. Um, but I've truly realized that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy and that my purpose is not a person and that my, you know, my everything is not in um, someone else, but it can only truly be found in Christ. Yeah, which is interesting because that actually is leading to a, a fair section of your book where you talk about how, you know, we're so often in our culture told to whether it's follow our heart or, you know, you do you, you understand, you know, mm-hmm. what how you tick and all that kind of stuff. And you say one of your big points is talking about how emotions make for bad leaders in in our decisions, in our relationships, in the way that we kind of walk out life. And you actually make the argument that we should be led by conviction instead of our emotions. Talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that, about because that's a pretty big finding for someone who, you know, hasn't lived decades and decades of life at this point. But where have you seen that uh, show up in your own life? Oh, my goodness. Well, because I've messed it up so many times, (laughs) because I found myself in places where I have followed my feelings, and then it ended up leading me down a road of regret and resentment. And I would find myself asking and posing the question, how did I get here? And so I finally got to a point where I was tired of being so led by culture or by emotion. And I finally was like, okay, God, what is your will for my life? So our focus has to shift from how do I feel to God, is this your will? And will this decision and will this, you know, me choosing to say yes to this or no to this, will this push me closer to you? And so I think what I realized in my own life is feelings are not something to be afraid of or to run away from, nor are they something to follow. But rather, there's something to be aware of because feelings are great indicators. They're always pointing and showing, you know, something much deeper where we feel lack, where we feel abundance. And so we should pay attention to them, but they can be really bad decision makers because they're inconsistent. You know, one day I wake up and I feel real good about myself and I'm like, yes, Maddie, you you got it, girl. And then the next day I'm like really down and I, you know, don't like the way that I look. I don't like my personality. I don't like my purpose. I'm questioning, you know, my relationships and everything around me. And that's because our feelings are constantly predicated, you know, on how we look or on on other people's opinions about us or our circumstances. And for me, I finally got to a point where I was tired of, you know, being led by something that was constantly fleeting and failing me. I wanted to be led by something so much, you know, deeper. And even if we look at God's Word, you know, God's Word simply tells us, like, don't follow your heart, because Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. We can't just follow what we feel or, you know, the emotion or the mood that we're in, or we're going to end up having a life 
of regret and shame. But instead, we should ask ourselves, what do we value most? And we should choose to live a life of conviction and just be built and rooted in truth um, rather than in culture and in feelings. And that's really my heart because, again, I have not been perfect in that in any way. And I just, I want my friends, I want those listening um, to really pre-decide before the heats and pressures and temptations of a moment, who am I? What do I believe? What does God's Word say? And make those decisions outside of the heat of the moment so that when those moments of pressure or temptation or insecurity or whatever it may become, you're able to stand your ground and be led by conviction rather than feeling. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny um, and so great, so telling that you even tell in the book how, you know, even in a good relationship, so even you post-marriage, you said you realized not far into marriage that you and Grant were kind of infatuated with with each other. And even that <laughs> infatuation, you know, I think you guys said you dated five months or so. So I guess maybe, yeah, that could still be riding high. But, you know, the, those feelings aren't going to last forever. I mean, real life hits and decisions have to be made and people, you know, disappoint you and whatnot. And so I think it's a great thing to remember, even uh, even this side of marriage, uh, like you say, in your own experience. Oh, absolutely. What's so funny is I started writing this book single and I actually finished the manuscript after a couple of months of being married. And so I got to write from these different mm-hmm. perspectives and, you know, relationships struggles and just like, you know, figuring out singleness and then figuring out dating and evaluating and then navigating, you know, the complexities of marriage and how to now have this role and responsibility as a wife. And so I'm really grateful for the grace of God just to allow me to really speak from a really authentic place in each of those relationships, um, you know, struggles and, and figuring it out. But that is so real, you know, and, and what I realized when I finished this book was that the same message that I wrote in singleness actually is the same message that I have to remind myself in marriage um, and just reminding myself that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. That's not my spouse. That's not my job. That's not my friends. Um, it's, it's Jesus. And I have to continue to remember that that foundation is so important for me to have healthy and strong relationships with myself and with other people. Yeah. Well, I think one of the really great things that you give for singles in the book is you talk through what you call kind of three H's um, for singles to focus on, and they are holiness, healing, and healthy habits, which I think is great because a lot of people think, well, I don't have to prepare for marriage because I'm not dating anyone, or, you know, this will only matter once I meet the person, you know, who's my soulmate or whatever. But shoring up those areas of pursuing God and looking maybe at our our pasts, our families of origin, what do we need to repent of, what do we need to forgive others of, and then just developing those healthy habits that you unpack in the book as well, I think is just a great way for all of us to be pursuing maturity and health and wholeness. Um, Was there one of those that you felt maybe was uh, particularly something that you focused on during your single years? Yeah, and I I love that you brought that up because I, I truly believe that singleness is the most crucial season of our life. It's a time where we really get to figure out what we believe and who we are in Christ and what our purpose is here on this earth. And I'm so grateful that I was able to to really learn that and that God revealed that to me because I was the girl who was like the bridesmaid and never the bride. Like I was in like 20 weddings. I remember I caught like 15 wedding bouquets <laughs> and I was calling my mom crying one time on the way to a rehearsal dinner because I knew I was going to be put at this, you know, dinner table and everybody there was going to be married and I was going to be the only single one. And she just reminded me, like, God is doing something in you right now, and He is preparing you for something greater than you could ever imagine. And this season is so important. And so don't neglect where you currently are, because it's not where you want to be. And that just changed the perspective of my life, not only in singleness, but I've taken that and applied that into different, you know, areas of my life, too, because I think it's so easy. We can often find ourselves in these waiting seasons, no matter what it is that we're waiting for. And I've learned that who I'm becoming in the waiting is more important than what I'm waiting for and what I'm waiting on. And I would say holiness is really something that God has just continued, because I open up in the book, like, so many different struggles that I've had in my past and in even pursuing purity and you know, stumbling upon um, pornography when I was really young, and then just having to really heal through that and confess and have people pray over me, and then choose a lifestyle of holiness and purity. And I remember that being something that was really hard. I carried a lot of shame for a long time. I felt like I was the only one and the only girl who was struggling with something like that. 
Um, and just not even only in the context of, you know, sexual, you know, sin or, you know, making decisions when it comes to our sexuality and, and things like that, but even just, you know, our thought life and the music that we listen to and the movies that we watch and the people that we spend time with. And singleness really was an opportunity for the Lord to really purify my heart and get my heart whole and holy before I ever tried to give it to someone else. Yeah. That's good. So um, just another question in light of the fact, you know, and the, the public persona that people know you as, and of course, you know, being a speaker and an author, being a social media influencer, how, what does it look like for you to do real life, like almost a work-life balance? Because we talk here at Boundless all the time about digital tech addiction and just kind of like, you know, don't be ruled by your smartphone or by your social feeds and all that kind of stuff. So clearly you must have, you know, you must be setting some kind of parameters so you can actually have real relationships and, you know, be a, be a wife and a, and a daughter and all of that kind of stuff. What does that look like for you? Absolutely. I mean, I talk all the time about, you know, the way you walk in peace, the way you walk in purpose is not being glued to a phone and looking at what other people have to say about you or what other people are doing. But for me, that's walking in prayer. What is God speaking to me? You know, developing that communion with the Lord. That's walking in truth. What does God's Word say? How has He called me to live? And then walking in community. You spoke to that, but what does wise counsel say? Surrounding myself with accountability, and not just surrounding myself with yes people, like surrounding myself with people that will call me out, you know, and that aren't fans, but are friends, and people that will literally be like, Maddie, that was not good, and that is not the life that God has called you to live, and you know, that will sharpen me. The Bible talks about in Proverbs, like iron sharpening iron. Those are the kinds of relationships that we should have in our life, and I am so grateful for that because I think it really is easy in today's world and culture. We're, you know, we're so connected because of social media, but yet we're the most depressed and lonely we've ever been and isolated we've ever been. And it's just remembering we've got to continue to go back to like, you know, back in the day, like just like break bread with people, you know, get get in front of people, have host people over to your, your house and do life with people and, and confess, like say, say the things that are hard to say, like confess the lie you've been believing and have those people pray over you. Um, I think doing life with people, but also realizing your private life is way more important than your public life. Who I am when everybody sees me is who I am when nobody sees me. I only have the strength to stand, you know, in, in a public spotlight because I'm, I'm kneeling in a private, you know, alone room before the Lord. And so I think that is so important to remember is we, we have to continue to abide and make sure that we're, we're being filled up and we're communing and spending time with the Lord on a daily basis, but then also doing life with people that are going to keep us grounded and hold us accountable and people that can be safe places that we can confess to, but also um, accountability that will call us higher. Yeah, so true. Well, folks, uh, the book is The Love Everybody Wants. What you're looking for is already yours. Uh, we have been talking with Maddie Pruitt Trout here at The Boundless Show and just kind of learning from her, like, you know, what is what is God teaching her? How has he given her the wisdom and the tools to walk out her faith, um, whether, you know, it's on a public platform like TV or doing social or whatever, but also just in community in her own church, among her own friends, and uh, again, uh, just turning the spotlight onto Jesus as much as she can. So I want to let you guys know um, that this book, the one we've been talking about, is available this week from Boundless for a gift of any amount. So you can just go to boundless.org, search for 823 this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. You just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless. We will send you a copy of the book in return as our thank you for that. And so make sure you get a copy. Um, read it, talk about it with your friends, and let us know what you think. So Maddie, thank you so much for being part of this week's episode. Thank you so much for having me. When I was a kid, I was sure I could run across the ocean. Now I was going to be an astronaut. But it was you and it was me. I had everything I needed. Faith could even move a mountain top. And then I grew up, and then I got older, and my life got tough, and we grew apart. Ooh, I wanna go back to Jesus' love.
All right. Well, we're going to open up our inbox and answer one of your questions. And of course, we're bringing in one of our fantastic counselors here at Boundless and Focus on the Family. We have Glenn Lutchins back. Glenn, good to have you. Thanks. Good to be with you, Lisa. This is where I wish we were a video cast because you've got some pretty rocking glasses on. Hey. Those are super yeah. fun. You're yeah. so hipster. Yeah, Walmart specials. Well, oh, okay. I thought you were going to say you, you know, got them from some boutique somewhere. Nah, so. just reading glasses. Oh, <laughs> that's great. I love them. So, all right. Well, you're going to have to answer a question. Uh, this is a dating one mm-hmm. from one of our listeners who's asking, how does someone navigate a breakup and lean on God fully through it all? In Christian circles, we tend to tell others to, quote, lean on God a lot. But what does that actually look like practically? Right. Well, before we get to the lean on God... One of the things that I think is really key is for a person just to be able to look at their heart and say, well, what's going on? What am I feeling? Yeah. Um, a breakup, obviously, it depends on the length of time, if it's been a short period of time or if somebody's been dating someone for a long period of time. Uh, a breakup can feel like almost the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's a lot of pain that's involved in it. I mean, I, I, I like some of the old music uh, back in the 60s. It shows my age. But there was a, a song by the Walker Brothers and uh, one of the, actually, the title of the song was The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, When I'm Without You. Mm-hmm. Um, and other songs really kind of bear that out. Is can't, can't Live If Living with that, Without You <laughs> by Harry Nielsen. Uh, so they, they talk about the pain that people encounter. And sometimes if we go too soon into kind of, okay, let's, let's lean on Jesus, let's trust in the Lord, we're not necessarily finding all that we feel. Psalm 73, I think, is a great example where where Asaph is just being truthful with the way he feels. He does go to the Lord. He does bring it before the Lord, but he doesn't just start there, which I think in some ways we can short-circuit any grief if we just say, okay, well, what do I need to be thinking about now? How do I need to address this mentally or spiritually? So if we give ourselves the chance to just kind of feel the pain, but then also to ask ourselves the question, Am I, when we use the metaphor leaning on God, I think what we mean by that is that I'm, I'm putting my weight upon someone who is foundational. And so I'm trusting that, that God is going to help me through this. Another metaphor, and maybe it's as helpful, maybe it's not, is the, the metaphor of looking through the lens of the Lord. If I'm looking through the lens of the Lord, I'm understanding that, yeah, a relationship can be helpful and relationship can be wonderful, but it's not all there is. What is my essence? Where is my identity? Who am I truly? Those are some of the important things to be focused on. Yeah, so good. And it really, I mean, again, we could apply this to a breakup. We could apply this to another hurt that we're walking through in our life. And it really is, you know, I always say too, and you were kind of alluding to this, that, man, it's so great. This is why when we feel like we're in a great season, it's like, still walk with the Lord then mm-hmm. too, because that will all pay back when you go through a real, a tough valley, uh, just to recall those promises and remember like God is for you and he uh, has good things in store for you. And sometimes being in community and, and with friends uh, who can pray you through is going to help as well. And I remember in, um, it's in the book of uh, John, Jesus asks a question, and I, it's kind of the first time I looked at it that I thought maybe something more was going on than previous. But Jesus asked the question, will you also leave? Now, we know that Jesus was truly man, truly God. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if in his humanity, when it says some of the disciples, not the 12 disciples, but the other disciples were leaving, he just shared that question, will you also leave? And I wonder if he was dealing with some emotion that uh, human emotion of the pain of, of loss. Mm-hmm. So, and yet Peter responded to it. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. You're the one I'm going to depend upon and lean upon. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Well, folks, um, that is it for this week's show. One thing I want to remind you of is that we actually have a weekly e-newsletter. For those of you who are not aware of the fact that we put out a weekly e-newsletter, it's great because, one, it only comes once a week. Two, it gives a roundup of everything we've talked about that week, as well as a little staff letter. It'll give you any info or announcements coming from Boundless. So it's just a great way to kind of get it all, uh, your head wrapped around what is going on at Boundless. So if you go to boundless.org, you're 
You're going to just scroll down uh, for half a minute. <laughs> Not really half a minute. You're just going to scroll down. And right there, you're going to see um, sign up for our e-newsletter. And uh, in fact, if you do sign up, you're going to get a free copy of my book, The Dating Manifesto, for those of you who don't have that and kind of give you a teaser of what that's about. But really, it's going to bring you into our boundless ecosystem and, and make you part of the family so that you are in the know. In the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. She hated the person God created her to be, and she blamed him for her gender. Laura Perry Smaltz lived nine years in a transgender lifestyle, trapped between two identities. But God, her family, and friends never forgot who she truly was. At the upcoming Lighthouse Voices event by Focus on the Family and the Colson Center, Laura shares her remarkable redemption journey. Join us Tuesday, March 19th at 7 p.m. Register at lighthousevoices.org.